You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Well, welcome to Liberty Family Church this morning. It's great to, to gather together in Jesus' name and welcome if you're joining us online. We believe in the power of God and we believe in the power of prayer and we believe God's word and his spirit is mighty to do mighty and miraculous things. So let's just still our hearts before God for a moment and and commit ourselves and ask God to do the miraculous in us this morning, to speak by his spirit to each one of us for the word that he has for us this morning. God, we just thank you that as we gather together, we are in your presence. And God, that is something that um, is mind-boggling. But God, we know it's true because you've said it is so. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for your word that you speak through and thank you that you still speak to each one of us, to our hearts, as we still our hearts and minds before you. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to, to speak to each one of us this morning. Let us hear what you want to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What a, um, an introduction. Um, the first thing I was going to say this morning is that those who, of us who have been Christians for a long time have probably experienced the power of God in our lives on many occasions over many years and we've witnessed that once again with uh, the testimony of, of Marilyn this morning. God has answered our prayers on many occasions and we've seen God come through for us in, in difficult situations. And perhaps as we've uh, heard this morning, you've seen God perform amazing miracles. And perhaps over the years you've seen people hungry for, and receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And personally, we've felt the peace of God as the Holy Spirit has led each one of us from day to day. Yet, despite these wonderful highs of the, of the Christian life, it's probably also safe to say that in recent times, right across the, the world in many countries, we're experiencing a, a season of increasing resistance and, and opposition to the gospel. An interest in the gospel and commitment to participation in, in local faith community seems to be waning. And it's so easy and understandable that faithful Christians still actively sharing the gospel and serving in their local churches might at times begin to feel discouraged or, or tired and despondent. And in desperation, sometimes you might even feel that you're close to the end of the line, that our energies have been exhausted and, and thinking that our efforts for, for God and the kingdom are futile, we might cry out to God, I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough, Lord. I wonder if any of us uh, here today are in that mindset or, or even close to it. Or maybe you've been in that situation before. Or maybe perhaps you feel that you're somewhat heading in that direction now, in this season of life. 
Well, if any of those apply to us, I believe that God has something to speak into our situation and our mindset today. God would remind us that we are not alone. It's not just you and Jesus. Look at the people around you, at least this morning in in this building. It's not just you and Jesus. And the future is not as dark as you might possibly have imagined. You know, the mind is a powerful thing and it can take us to some dark places where um, we shouldn't want to go. Well, God does not want us to be stuck in a spirit of despair or despondency if that's where you're at or where you're heading today. God would want to lift you up out of that mindset. God would have you know that how you've served him in the past and the present is having more impact than you could possibly realise. And that God loves you and God wants to refresh you and encourage you this morning. And as you come into his presence, as we come into his presence together this morning, I believe God will continue to reveal himself to us and his plans for each one of us once again. Now this is good news. It's good news if you have a heavy heart this morning. You might be thinking that you've just about had enough, but God would say to you to keep going until he says it's enough. It's not over until God says it's over. God has so much more in store for each one of us and for you personally. You may have heard it said that a wise man learns from his mistakes, but an even wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. And we have that, that opportunity this morning as we open the word of God together to examine how someone else with, dealt with a situation uh, quite like the one that I've just described. And we'll see how God refreshed him and encouraged him and set him on the right path again, just as he can for each one of us this morning. So who am I? I won't do a long who am I. I'll just let you in. It's Elijah, the prophet of God. So let me set the scene for you. Let me set the picture this morning. We're talking about a period around about 850 years before Jesus. So we're talking almost 3,000 years ago. And the nation of Israel had split into two uh, like bickering political parties after King Saul and King David and Solomon had led the United Kingdom. The, king, the nation of Israel has now split into two. And the northern kingdom of Israel, with its capital in Samaria, incorporated ten tribes and is presently reigned by King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who was the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Phoenician cities of Tyre and Sidon on the Mediterranean coastline. And Ahab and Jezebel had introduced the worship of the fertility and nature gods, Baal and Asherah, into the life of the northern kingdom. And Canaan was totally dependent on rain and crops to survive. So Baal and Asherah, as the, the nature gods, seemed to offer prosperity to those whose faith in Jehovah God had faltered. Meanwhile, the southern kingdom of Judah with its capital in Jerusalem incorporated the tribes of Judah and Benjamin and was 
faithfully led by the Levites, continuing to lead the worship of God. And the southern kingdom endeavoured to remain faithful to Jehovah God and depend on Jehovah to provide all that they needed to prosper. And so into this conflict of faith and kingdoms, God sends the prophet Elijah from the town of Tisbeh, east of the Jordan River from the region of Gilead. And God tries to turn the hearts of the people back to Jehovah, the one true God of creation, through the words of Elijah the prophet. And Elijah declared the word of God to, to King Ahab that there'd be no rain in the land for the next few years except at the word of God through Elijah. And as you can imagine, this made them pretty angry. It made Ahab and, and Jezebel very angry. So in light of that anger, God tells Elijah to flee the retribution of Ahab and Jezebel and hide by a brook in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan River where God feeds Elijah miraculously through ravens that brought him bread and meat both morning and night. But when the brook dries up because of the prolonged drought, God sends Elijah to a widow in the town of Zarephath in the region of Sidon, near the Mediterranean Sea, where God again miraculously sustains them through a jar of flour that never empties and a jug of oil that never runs dry until God sends rain on the land again. And so during these years of, of drought and famine, Ahab and Jezebel are getting angrier and angrier. And so they start slaughtering all the, all the prophets of Jehovah. And until finally God has had enough with that situation and God brings matters to a dramatic conclusion and, and confrontation. And God instructs Elijah to present himself to King Ahab with the promise that God is once again about to send rain on the land. And with that prophecy, Elijah gathers all the people of Israel. He challenges Ahab to gather all the people of Israel with 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah on Mount Carmel in northern Israel, about 30 kilometres west of Nazareth, uh, above the valley of Jezreel. And Elijah challenges the people of God as to which God is real, which God is true. Is it Jehovah or is it Baal and Asherah? But the people remain speechless, perhaps because of fear of, of Ahab. And so Elijah then issues a challenge to build two altars, one to Jehovah and one to Baal. And the God who answers with fire from heaven would be declared and show himself to be the one true God. And so Baal's prophets go first and um, they build the altar of of wood and and cut up a bull and put its pieces on top of the wood. And and then they start praying to to Baal and and Asher. And uh, this goes on from morning to noon and all day right into into the evening. But there's no response. There's no fire from Baal or Asherah. How could there be? Because you know, they're not really gods at all, just idols. And Elijah then calls on the people of Israel to gather 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes 
of Israel. God is trying to unite the people back together into one nation. And he gathers, the people gather these 12 stones, one for each of the tribe, and build the altar and then cut up the bull and put the pieces on, on top of the stones and the wood. And then Elijah tells them to drench all of, all of that with water three times so there's water flooding over this altar built to God. And then Elijah prays to Jehovah, who answers immediately with a fearsome display of a fire that from heaven that consumes the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and all the water. And the people see this and they fall flat on their face, prostrate before God, and they cry out, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. Jehovah is God. And then at Elijah's command, the people of Israel seize those prophets of Baal and Asherah, 850, and slaughter them in the Kishon Valley at the foot of Mount Carmel. And Elijah tells Ahab to get ready, to have something to eat, have something to drink, <coughs> to hitch up his chariot and hurry on down the mountain because the rain is coming and if he's not quick, the deluge of rain will cut off, will cut off the path and he won't be able to get off the mountain. And then the power of God comes on Elijah and uh, he runs like the wind ahead of Ahab's chariot and beats him to Jezreel. And now that's 24 kilometres away. And now that's an amazing run. 24 kilometres to beat a chariot. You know, a chariot speed, the speed is up to something like 36 kilometres per hour. So can you imagine doing that for 24 kilometres? It's the equivalent of running 100 metres in 10 seconds, near world record speed for 24 kilometres. That is the power of God at work coming on Elijah. Now this is the high point of Elijah's work. It's the high point of his walk with God. He's witnessed the tremendous power of God. And his word, fire and rain from heaven, and then running like the wind. So what could possibly stop Elijah now after that demonstration of God's power? Surely Elijah will be used powerfully for the kingdom of God. I wonder if you've ever been in that situation. Perhaps you're in that situation right now after we've heard the testimony of Marilyn this morning. Have you ever been in that position alongside Elijah, having experienced the mighty power of God and thought that there are great things ahead of you in your spiritual life and for the kingdom of God, that nothing can stop you now and that you're full of the Holy Spirit and literally or figuratively on fire for God? Well, I wonder what came next for you. Or what will come next for you in the days ahead in kingdom life? Well, let's take a moment and see what comes next for Elijah from the word of God as we read from the first book of Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 to 18. Now Ahab had told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed 
all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. That's the same as Mount Sinai on the Sinai Peninsula. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out. And stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... Came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. I wonder if 
you can place yourself in Elijah's shoes this morning. Have you been there and done that? Or are you there now and considering the same? Well, this morning I want to highlight three things we can learn from (coughs) this passage and from Elijah's experience and apply to our own situation and our own walk with God. And the first thing I want to point out is this, that miracles and displays of God's power in our life are meant to encourage us and point others to God. But it's ultimately God's spirit and his word that brings permanent transformation in the hearts and minds of people. Miracles and displays of God's power in our life are meant to encourage us and point others to God, but it's ultimately God's spirit and his word that brings permanent transformation in the hearts and minds of people. Straight after witnessing the mighty power of God in answered prayer with with fire followed by rain from heaven and the power of the Holy Spirit making Elijah run like the wind for 24 kilometres, the people of Israel rallying to Jehovah God and slaughtering the prophets of Baal and Asherah, Elijah now encounters a murderous threat from Queen Jezebel. In verse 2, we read that Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. That's a threat to kill Elijah, just as Elijah had the prophets of Baal and Asherah slaughtered. It's clear that Queen Jezebel hadn't witnessed the power of God on Mount Carmel. She had no intention of giving credence to anything that Elijah might say or any command that came from God to gather on that mountain. But King Ahab did tell Jezebel everything that had happened after the event. How the desperate cries of the prophets of Baal and Asherah had gone unanswered. How Elijah's prayers brought fire from heaven and drenching rain to break the drought of three years. Now you might think that the logical thing here for Jezebel to do here would be to admit the error of her ways to admit her error, that Baal and Asherah, they were no gods at all. That the evidence of Mount Carmel proves that Jehovah is the one true God. But no, quite quite the opposite. It's astounding, quite the opposite. And Jezebel's refusal to submit to God shows us that there will always be stubborn people who refuse to believe in Jehovah God despite all the evidence and despite all the displays of his power. And isn't that what we find in our daily experience as well? How often do we encounter unbelief in the face of overwhelming displays of God's power? We might think that with such amazing demonstrations of God's power, such as Elijah's experience on Mount Carmel, We might think that everyone would turn to God and bow the knee and acknowledge the one true God. Surely the miracles will turn the hearts of people back to God. 
Well, for many of the Israelites, it did for a while. They obeyed Elijah's command and and slaughtered the prophets of, of Baal and Asherah. But for those who turned to God because of the miracles, how long will their faith persevere in times of trial when the going gets tough? You know, in years to come, the northern kingdom of Israel predominantly returned to the worship of of Baal and Asherah until God's final judgment came upon them by the conquering Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. So what's the take-home message from Jezebel and the northern kingdom of Israel? Well, one take-home message is this, that God's power will be revealed in miracles at times and places of his choosing, but lasting change, lasting change in the hearts and minds of people only comes by the word of God and his spirit. And this is something that Elijah came to realise and it's an important lesson that we need to realise also today. It's the same word of the Lord that came to the governor of Judah after the Babylonian exile to Zerubbabel through the prophet of Zechariah as Zerubbabel um, tried to rebuild the temple to somewhat of its former glory. And uh, Zechariah in chapter 4 verse 6 spoke the word of God to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord Almighty. Lasting change in the hearts and minds of people only occurs through the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 we read, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. God's word and his spirit are where the transforming power of God ultimately lies. Far more than any miracle of fire from heaven or rain from heaven or, or superhuman speed given from heaven. And that's the lesson that Elijah needed to learn. And we can learn from his mistakes. And it's the lesson that we can take home today also. And to drive this point home, God gives Elijah encouragement on Mount Horeb by having Elijah stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of God as the Lord passes by. And it's here we think, well, we're coming into the the presence of God. Surely the presence of God will be manifest by some mighty demonstration of his power. That's how God spoke to me in the past. That's how God spoke to us this week through uh, John and, and Marilyn's testimony. Surely that's how God is going to speak to us again. That's how God answered Elijah on Mount Carmel. And it's how God spoke to Israel in years gone by. Now that might sometimes be the case, as it was when all of Israel, all of Israel stood at the foot of Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai in their exodus from Egypt. And God's presence was accompanied by by thunder and lightning and cloud and smoke and fire and trumpet 
and the mighty voice of God. But that's now. But today, God wants to speak to an Elijah, perhaps with a different tone. And it's not about fire or wind or earthquake or any other physical or miraculous display of God's power. And to prove it, a powerful wind tears Mount Horeb apart and shatters the rocks as Elijah hides in the cave. But God is not in the wind. And then there was a great earthquake shaking the mountain violently. But God was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire upon the mountain. But God was not in the fire as he'd been for Moses in the burning bush 700 years earlier. And then after the fire came a gentle, gentle whisper. And Elijah recognised once again the voice of God. God's voice and his word were in that gentle whisper. That still, small voice of God that still speaks to you and me today and penetrates deep, deep into our hearts, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And it was that same faithful word of God that Elijah had preached for so many years, so many years, long before the miracles on Mount Carmel. It was that same gentle word of God that Elijah had preached that had whispered to 7,000 hearts in Israel. A gentle whisper that was amplified spirit and caused 7,000 Israelites to remain faithful to Jehovah God. Just like it was for Elijah, the miracles and the displays of God's power in our life to encourage us and point others to God. But it's ultimately God's spirit and his word that brings permanent transformation and change in the hearts of people. That's the first thing we can draw from today's passage in Elijah's experience. The second lesson is that despondency, despondency from apparent spiritual failure can make us deaf to God and lead to wilderness wandering. Despondency from apparent, apparent, underline apparent, spiritual failure can make us deaf to God and lead to wilderness wandering. God's word had miraculously protected Elijah for three years from the murderous intent of Jezebel before Mount Carmel. Elijah had witnessed the power of God's word on Mount Carmel with fire and rain from heaven and Holy Spirit speed. And we might think that Elijah would now be emboldened to face any challenge or opposition that comes along, so long as he keeps listening to God's word. And that challenge came in no time at all, probably the very next day. Jezebel sent a message. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that 
of one of them. Like one of the prophets of Baal that had been slaughtered at Elijah's command. Instead of being bold in the spirit and seeking a word from the Lord, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. So how did it come to this? How did it come to this? How did Elijah change so quickly from courage for confrontation on Mount Carmel to fear and flight? How did, how did it change so quickly? Had the word of God told Elijah to be afraid and run for his life? Well, there's no indication in the passage that that's the case. Now, this was all of Elijah's own doing, all of his own thinking. Without God telling Elijah that his fright and flight response were what was required in this situation and the response to Jezebel's threat, Elijah was now acting purely on his own initiative, independent of the spirit and word of God. Elijah had stopped seeking a word from the Lord. And so Elijah fled. He fled south to Beersheba in Judah, 80 kilometres south with his servant, and then went a day further into the wilderness by himself, curled up under that broom bush and told God, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So Elijah thought that he'd failed God's mission, just like his ancestors, all the other prophets who spoke the word of God to Israel. So I've failed. What else in life is there for me to achieve now? How could God possibly use him for any good purpose? Take me to heaven now. I've had enough. But God wasn't about to let Elijah off the hook. So he sent a ministering angel. And when Elijah's death wish was denied by God and the ministering angel, Elijah still, he still didn't seek a word from the Lord for his situation. And he continued to wander further and further into the wilderness and out of God's plans for him. Forty days, forty days and forty nights of wandering in the wilderness until he arrived at Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, the mountain of God where God had appeared to Moses about 700 years earlier. And it's here on Mount Horeb that God asks Elijah the question that perhaps none of us should ever want to hear from God in our lives, in our situation. What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, it's like uh, when you were told by a friend to, to, to go somewhere and then you end up in the wrong place and you ring them up on the phone, where are you? Oh, well, I'm here. And then they say, well, what are you doing here? What? You're totally in the wrong place. Elijah was totally in the wrong place. God said, what are you doing here, Elijah. But not just once, he said it twice. Elijah comes up with the wrong answer. And so God asks the same question a second time. 
but only after giving Elijah a refresher course in listening for and recognising that gentle whisper of God's voice. What are you doing here, Elijah? And incredibly, Elijah gives the same answer before. If someone asks you a question twice, perhaps they're seeking a different answer from the first one that you gave. But incredibly, Elijah gives the same answer. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars, put all your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Well, all of these things were true, except one, that he wasn't the only one left. There were 7,000 others in Israel who were loyal and faithful to Jehovah God. But you know, Elijah was missing the point completely. The point was that Elijah had stopped listening to God and was therefore not where God wanted him to be. And that's why the 360 kilometre journey from Beersheba down to Mount Horeb had taken 40 days instead of eight days, which would be required by that distance. The point is that if you stop listening to God and believing his word, if you stop being led by his spirit, then we too will end up wandering in wilderness circles. Either wandering in the wilderness for 40 days and nights like Elijah, or wandering in the wilderness for 40 years like Moses and the Israelites on their way out of Egypt. Now some of us might be like Elijah even today, and getting despondent if we feel that we haven't achieved what God had set before us in life. Perhaps the, the dreams that God gave you don't seem to have materialised in your life. Well, when the displays of God's power in and through our lives seem to be dismissed by others or even met with resistance, when our kingdom efforts don't seem to achieve all that we'd hoped or dreamed of, we need to learn from Elijah. We need to ensure that we keep listening to God's voice. That gentle whisper that we keep being led by his word and his spirit. Because the alternative is that we might respond to apparent failure and opposition with fear and run for our lives withdraw and retreat from life and kingdom service altogether. We might uh, withdraw from kingdom fellowship and service and curl up under a tree figuratively and wish we were dead. That's what depression and despair and despondency can do to you. And we might find ourselves in our lives wandering in a wilderness of our own making until finally we hear, hopefully, at some point in time, the voice of God saying, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Nobody wants to hear the voice of God say that to them. Despondency and apparent spiritual failure can make us deaf to God and lead us into wilderness wandering. And the correct response, quite to the contrary, is to keep listening 
and obeying God's word and his spirit. Seems obvious to us today, doesn't it? That's the correct response. We need to make sure we keep listening to God when the going gets tough and be strong and courageous in God. That's what the miracles are intended for, to make us strong and courageous. That's the response that leads you out of the wilderness in the footsteps of Joshua and into the things that God has promised and spoken over your life. That's the second thing we need to learn from Elijah this morning. We need to keep listening to God that even despite apparent spiritual failure, we need to keep listening to God, hearing his word and his spirit to make sure we don't end up going the wrong way and wandering in the wilderness. And the third and final thing I'd like to draw to our attention this morning from Elijah's experience is this, that even if we get depressed, even if we get depressed and off track, God wants to refresh us and put us back on track to serve him again. Elijah was so depressed about his lack of kingdom effectiveness that he just wanted to lay down under the broom bush and die. He just wanted to be all by himself, to wallow in his depression, lay down under the bush and die. Take me now, Lord, I've had enough. So Elijah left his servant in Beersheba and went a day's walk by himself into the wilderness and sat down under that broom bush. And Elijah fell asleep. Physically and spiritually exhausted, he hoped that he wouldn't wake up. Well, at least that if he woke up, he would be in heaven. But God was merciful and sent an an angel to minister to the needs of Elijah. And Elijah's first need was physical. His first need was physical. So the angel prepared some baked bread and a jar of water and woke Elijah up to eat and drink. Well, hopefully Elijah had had a a good sleep before the angel touched him again on the shoulder and woke him up again because, you know, everyone hates being woken up in the middle of a deep sleep. But we do know that Elijah must have been physically exhausted because he lay down to sleep that second time before the angel came back and woke him up again. You know, for us, sometimes the most important thing that we can do when we're worn out spiritually is to refresh our bodies physically, to get some rest and some nourishment because that's what our body needs, to take a well-earned rest or a holiday to refresh and recharge our batteries to be ready to serve again because that's how God has made us and that's why this Sabbath day of rest today and gathering together is so important for us to observe every week. We need this rest. We need this refreshing. We need this encouragement that we get from one another gathering together. And then after Elijah's physical needs were met, God then intended to refresh Elijah spiritually. Elijah was refreshed spiritually when the word of the Lord came to him once again on Mount Horeb as he stood in the presence of God. And you know it's the same 
for each one of us this morning too. When we're spiritually dry and discouraged, we need to come into God's presence once again and to let the Lord and his voice minister to each one of us again. And that means getting into a quiet place where it's just you and God with no distractions, getting into his word, the Bible, and allowing God's word and his spirit to refresh us once again. And when we do that, God will get us back on track and lead us into another season of service for his kingdom because God is not finished with us yet. It's not over until God says it's over. Christians don't or shouldn't retire from kingdom service. God always has something for each one of us, a part for each one of us to play in his kingdom. That's what being, that's what being part of the body of Christ is all about. So God gives Elijah new instructions for a new season of service. Instruction to anoint two kings and the prophet Elijah and to continue God's kingdom work. So God says, go back the way you came. Get yourself back in the game. Go back the way you came to where you were. I want to use you in my kingdom once again for my purposes. I've still got plans for you. And Elijah and Elisha do some mighty things for God in the days to come. Until sometime later, in God's timing, God does say, it's enough. It's enough. One day, Elijah and Elisha are out walking and suddenly a chariot and horses of fire miraculously appear from heaven, separate the two, and Elijah is taken up into heaven in a whirlwind. What a glorious entrance into the presence of God. Only, only made possible by God's merciful answer to Elijah's prayer. I've had enough, Lord, let me die. God's merciful answer was no, no, I've got more for you to do, so much more for you until you enter my kingdom. And what a dramatic entrance it was into the glorious presence of God. You know, if God says no to your prayers, Elijah experience can show us that perhaps God has got something better in store for you in days to come. New seasons of kingdom service. Because even if we get depressed from apparent spiritual failure, God wants to refresh us and put us back on track to serve him just as he did for Elijah. Have you ever been in that season like Elijah in the past? Are you there now or do you feel yourself heading that way? God has something to say to each one of us this morning. We do well to learn from Elijah's experience. The miracles and the displays of God's power in our life are meant to encourage us and point others to God, but it's ultimately God's spirit and his word that bring permanent transformation 
in the lives and hearts of people. Despondency from apparent spiritual failure in your life can make you deaf to God and, and cause you to wander in the wilderness for days, weeks or even years. That even if you've been there or you feel like you're going there, God has something for you. Even if you're depressed and getting off track today or feel yourself heading that way, God wants to get you back on track this morning. God wants to refresh your spirit and put you back on track to serve him again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. The things he's done in the past, he can do for us today and the future. And I believe that God would want to refresh some or even all of us today to have us hear his voice that may have fallen on, on deaf ears to lead us out of pointless wandering in spiritual wilderness, to get us back on track for kingdom service and kingdom life once again. Because it's not over until God says it's over. So if you can identify with any of these things today, I want to lead us together now in a time of corporate prayer before God, confident that his word and his spirit are here to whisper and minister to our souls and our spirit, to refresh us and point us in the right direction where he would have each one of us for kingdom service and ministry. Go back the way you came. I've got more in store for you. I want to use you once again. Let's pray and commit ourselves to God's word and his spirit this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that's alive and active and can speak to our hearts and minds and go so deep. Holy Spirit, we just submit ourselves to you this morning and pray that you would search us. You search our ways, search our thoughts, search our feelings. Refresh us. God, we just ask forgiveness if we have stopped listening to your word and, and gone off walking in the wilderness. Refresh us this morning, miraculously, by your spirit and your word. Get us back in the game for you and for all that you have in store for us, for life, for you and your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.